No, you're right. I look like a crazy Russian that's about to throw over. Uh... Welcome to God is Open. Uh, I am your host, Christopher Fisher. Today on God is Open, we have Scruff McGruff, Warren McGrew. Scruff McGruff because you got the scruffy beard, you know? I'm definitely, I'm definitely rocking the scruff uh, now, yeah. It's, yes. it's, it's, <laughs> I, I'm going to go get my face mask. It's like, you know, I, I got to go shop, but now I'm online. I, I feel like I need one even <laughs> for you. Uh, uh, you need, need a face mask. Your, your, your beard does look darker since your debate. So maybe maybe winning a debate has brought out more color and driven away, away the gray. Yeah, that that are my my wife's barber. Um, one yeah, of the yeah. two. One of, one, one of the two. I'm I'm not happy with it. But I'm I'm okay. I'm okay. Looking less than my best. So today our goal is to uh, talk about your debate. First of all, you had a debate recently on total depravity, and you debated uh, individual Matt Slick who wasn't even aware what the topic of the debate was coming into the debate, which I found very interesting. I mean, if you're going to go on a live debate, one which the title is actually in the title of the debate, you, you might have some sort of inkling what the debate is about. Just maybe. I'm just throwing that out there. Maybe you could read the YouTube channel you're joining. Yeah, you know, it was, it was really, it was one of those situations where I was hoping like, I'll, I'll give you a little bit of backstory leading up to this and then how the, the topic came about. Um, when, I, when I came out of Calvinism, I went through that madman stage. You know, Calvinists have their cage stage. And then when you're set free, you're running around telling everyone that soil and green is people and Calvinism is, is opposed to the incarnation. They look at you like you have this kind of beard. But um, they look at you like you're a crazy man, you know. But after about three years after my exodus from Calvinism, I had simmered a little bit, and uh, Matt, who I'd been reading and following and listening to while I was a Calvinist, came out on Facebook, and he said, um, I'm looking for debate opportunities. And I said, oh, I, I would love to debate you on total depravity. And he came back with some insults and dismissed me. <laughs> and uh, about a year later, he comes back on. He says, hey, I'm looking for uh, debates. Would anybody like to debate me? And I said, oh, I would love to debate you, Matt. He said, great, what topic? I said, total depravity. And he had some more insults and dismissed me and never came back. And then about a year after that, we, we kept repeating this about every year or so. And uh, then this year after my debate with J.D. Martin, about two months after that, Matt made a Facebook post and said, hey, I'm thinking about doing more debates. Who would like to see me debate? And, and do you have any topics? And I said, oh, I, I would love to debate you. I, I have an idea. Let's debate total depravity. And he said, um, he said, oh, uh, I affirm total depravity. I said, great, I don't. We can, we can debate it. And he said, oh, you must have a really high opinion of yourself. And I said, no, sir, I have a high opinion of Scripture. I'd love to demonstrate it to you via a debate. And uh, so he was really insulting and dismissed. But this time, I kind of had, I hate to say this with wearing this beard, but I had a wild hair <laughs> So, so I come back uh, about a week later, and I tag Marlon, the host of The Gospel Truth. I said, hey, Marlon, Matt wants to debate. You host a debate channel. Maybe you could moderate, you know? And Marlon came on and said, oh, I'd be honored to. You're like, let's do this. Matt never responded. <laughs> so a week goes by. I go back to the same thread. I tag Matt, tag Marlon. I'm like, hey, let's do this. 
So for about four weeks, right, I'm coming back once a week, tagging both gentlemen, and Matt disappeared. Disappeared. A couple months go by, still no response. Then I see that, that Mr. Slick is doing a live interview with Marlon on the Gospel Channel. So I went in, and in the comment section, I said, Hey, Marlon, I have a question for Matt. Is there any time in the next 12 months when he would be available to debate me on total depravity? Let's go ahead and lock that down. And so live, live during the interview, Mar uh, Marlon brought it up. And he goes, Hey, I don't know if you remember this guy or not, but he's got a bone to pick with you. He wants to debate you on total depravity. And uh, Matt was like, Oh, I, there was somebody. I, I don't remember. Maybe yes, maybe no. I, somebody's been pestering me for the last couple of years. And maybe it's this guy. Matt was real kind and complimented my family. He saw my little profile photo. But then he's like, why would anybody want to lose that bad debating me? He said, yeah. <laughs> he, said, he said, yeah, let's do it. Let's set it up. And so right then I was like, oh, he still could back out. But I've got him live on Marlon's channel as well as these Facebook posts. Maybe it'll happen now. And so a couple weeks go by. I don't hear anything. And I'm messaging Marlon. I'm like, hey, are we doing this? And Marlon tags him. And eventually it started to come together. And Marlon said, what topic do you want to debate? And because I, I, I know how epistemology destroys Calvinism, not to mention scripture, but I was like, I, I would love to debate the topic, is total depravity true? And I thought, there's no way they're going to go for that because it, it's too, too broad. It, they like to stay in the scriptures where they can argue their proof texts and say their interpretation is better than yours, and they don't want to get into the undercutting defeaters and, and all of this. I thought there's no way he's going to go for it. And he came back and said, sure, sounds great. And I was like, oh, oh, okay, cool. And then uh, during the debate uh, messaging, Matt would never respond to me. So it's me, Marlon, and, and Matt. But Matt would message Marlon and say, Marlon, ask Warren about this. So then Marlon would come back and ask me, and I would say, well, you can, Tell him, and Matt, you can read it here. <laughs> uh, one of the things that we were trying to lock down was I said, um, I said, uh, Matt, is there any confession or creed that you affirm? Like, I want to be fair to your position. Um, and he said, oh, I'm just a Calvinist. I said, oh, he's not going to give me anything, you know? Well, and he, it, that is funny because I think in the Will Duffy debate, he denied being a Calvinist. And so, uh, go on, go on. So, so he, he, came, he came back and he said, I'm just a Calvinist. What are you? And I said, well, if he's not going to give me anything, I'm, I'm not going to give him anything. I was like, I'm just a non-Calvinist. You know? <laughs> so uh, he said, well, um, how do you define total depravity? And I said, sure, here's how I define total depravity. He goes, oh, great, yes, I can affirm that. Let's do it. And so he agreed with my definition, agreed to the topic of the debate, we set everything up, and then me being an obsessive-compulsive um, individual, I began prepping, and I started reading my Bible, specifically looking for these areas that I thought would illuminate, started going before the Lord, asking for wisdom and insight on how to kind of expose some of these unreasonable positions they have. And during the time that we're leading up to this, I keep thinking, you know, there's still a chance that this gentleman could back out. And I've spent four years 
<laughs> off and on. I'm not obsessive, right? Uh, but I've spent the last four years wanting this to happen. And here it is. It's about to happen. And, you know, there's this nerves and, and you go, well, is, is this all for nothing? But I said, if nothing else, I'll do an episode of Idol Killer and I'll present the material that I've created for this debate. And then it happened. And he shows up and he says, uh, what's, what's the debate topic? What are we debating? Are, <laughs> are we debating original sin today? Um, and then Marlon, Marlon saw the debate that I had with JD because this came up in the, um, I don't know if this was part of the live broadcast, but behind the scenes. And he saw that I debated JD on is total depravity biblical. So Matt shows up saying, we're going to debate, is original sin true or biblical? Marlon says, is total depravity biblical? And I'm sitting here trying not to be rude, but I'm like, gentlemen, that's not the topic of the debate. It's, it's is total depravity true? Like, that's what I've been prepping for for the last several months. Um, in which they both were like, oh, yeah, yeah, you're right, you're right. But Right, because was, all you have to do is look at the title of the YouTube channel and debate that the yeah. guy was literally hosting. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, so, you know, it was, it was, uh, it, it caused my heart to skip a beat a little bit there when I love Marlon. Uh, we disagree vehemently on soteriology, but I love him. But when, when he, he didn't know the debate topic and Matt didn't know the debate topic, I was like, oh no, this, this is not getting off to a good start. I'm in trouble already. <laughs> That's a great but, start, uh, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it, it ended up, I think, going really well. Uh, I'm sure we're going to discuss where I performed well and, and where I, I stumbled and, and bombed, but, uh, but I had a blast doing it. Well, I don't know if we're going to have time to go into your stuff specifically. Tonight we are going to cover Matt Slick's opening post, his opening uh, statement, and talk about the merits and demerits of that. But we should actually talk a little bit about the debate. I noticed you improved tremendously on your internet connection. <laughs> yeah. So My, your your last debate to this one, your technical setup, uh, I didn't notice any flaws. The the fact that I didn't notice it means um, an improvement over the last time you were the first, in a debate. The first time I debated, I had hired those birds from the Flintstones cartoon, and they were chiseling out uh, our correspondence. That's how bad my connection was then. And I had I had um, uh, AT and T fiber, but I thought I thought oh I, I have. Uh, 50 megabytes download. Like, hey, I'm, I'm doing great. Uh, but what I didn't know was that I could have gotten uh, one gig up and one gig down for the same price. Um, and so once you and I talked and you're like, hey, your internet's horrible. And I watched the debate with JD where I was making great <laughs> points and then nobody was watching them because I was freezing. And one thing that is absolutely essential to this debate is, you know, and <laughs> So I said, I'm not doing that again. So I called AT&T, had them come out. So now I've got one gig up, one I built a brand new computer for work, but Cyberpunk 2077 is coming out. So I may be, may be downloading that. We'll see. All right. So um, we were live streaming on the new God is Open Discord channel. And there's a lot of people in the room. And uh, we're watching you in the debate. And we're talking some side conversations at the same time. But one thing we did notice is how crazy and erratic Matt Slick he gradually became throughout the debate. To the point where he's just like a raving madman. Um, and so a good general rule for debates is if you lose your cool... Uh, you lose your composition. 
uh, your personal composition, then you've lost the debate, at least in uh, in the eyes of the audience, typically. And Matt was so erratic, uh, boastful, prideful, calling names, and just generally out of control with himself that just functionally speaking, you win the debate uh, just, just on the perceptions that were going on there. And I suspect uh, what had a lot to do with it was your argument that he couldn't uh, he he couldn't internalize and respond to, which frustrated him and caused him to go into these. I, I, I suggested in the comments on that YouTube video, that stream, that we, we start a drinking game. Every time every time Matt throws an insult, uh, you're a Pelagian, you're a heretic. Oh, I could school you one-on-one. -on -one. That, that's what he does in all these debates. Every time he does that, we take a shot. We'd all be dead by alcohol poisoning by the end of the debate. We'd all be dead. Halfway, halfway into the debate, everyone's dead from alcohol poisoning. We don't even, we wouldn't make it through. We'd all be dead. They'd kill us all. That slick would kill us all. <laughs> if, if you took a shot every time I was called a Pelagian, you may have survived. But if we add in there every time the term heretic and heresy was thrown in there, we could have killed literally everyone watching. I mean, it would it would it was horrible. That was his main argument. The other half of his argument was, "I've been doing this for thirty years. I could teach you one on one with my degrees. Have you ever seen my degrees?" And then then he doesn't respond to the actual arguments. It's it's an appeal to authority. It's uh, poisoning the well. Um, all sorts of crazy uh, fallacies. Well, when, when I was when I was prepping for the debate, you know. Um, because I'm approaching this from the position of a lay person, right? I'm studious, but I'm just, I haven't gone to seminary. I haven't been indoctrinated into various uh, pre predetermined thoughts and arguments. So I'm not, I'm not going through those same steps and motions that a lot of people go through when they're debating the Calvinist versus non-Calvinist paradigm. So what really frustrated Matt was he was wanting me to say, your proof texts are wrong, and here's my proof text, and let's argue about it the way this has been argued since Calvin. And I was like, Lord, I know that's what he's expecting. That's what he wants. Um, how do I get in there and till up this well-trodden soil and get the stones and the weeds out and shake things up and come at it in a way that he hasn't really considered? Because I'm not just there to change the mind of the audience, but to but it changed Matt's mind too, if, if, if he's willing. And so, and so that's pretty lofty there. Well, you know, I, I'm editing a response video and um, there's, there's a lot of points of humor. Like I, uh, I'm a nervous laugher in any way, you know? So like when I get under stress, my natural response is to smile. So if you see me smiling a lot here, it's partly that I'm having a good time, but it's also maybe Warren's panicked right now. So, yeah, so you're panicked that, right now. Am I'm I panicking terrified. you? I'm, I'm, I'm putting the pressure on. I'm, <laughs> but, uh, but so I'm watching this this debate again in preparation for my my personal response video, and I'm watching him, and I go, oh, that's just bad. Oh, that's what you can literally see the cognitive dissonance on his face. There was one point where I asked him. I said, I exposed some circular reasoning, and I, I said, Matt, you. Um, you know you've been regenerated because you understand the Bible correctly, and you know you understand the Bible correctly because you've been regenerated. Doesn't that sort of circular reasoning keep you awake at night? And as, as he saw where the question was going, he started to laugh, and then he started to like, he saw the smile on his face, but you could see it hit. 
And he just kind of sat there and he's like, uh. so you could literally see the cognitive dissonance. And um, I'm hoping, right? I, I, I want the best for this gentleman. I'm hoping that that uh, that will get in there and the, the seed of truth will take root and, you know, we'll have another champion for pre-Augustinian orthodoxy. And uh, I don't, I wouldn't say I'm, I'm betting money on it, um, but, uh, but it would be, it really would be a, a, you know, a tremendous thing for him and for the kingdom. That, that would, that would be fairly improbable. Maslick tends to wipe from his mind every opponent's argument in between and sometimes during the debate. Uh, he doesn't uh, internalize what the other side is actually arguing. You, you, you probably didn't see this. When I'm, when I'm debating, I don't have the YouTube channel open. I'm not reading the comments. I'm, I try to be as focused on the debate as I can. So I'm looking at my multitude of notes. I'm listening to the arguments, and I'm watching him on screen. But after I, I left the debate, I realized, I don't know, maybe a third of the debate he wasn't even there for, for engaging with me. He had left and abandoned the debate and was making comments in the side chat. And, <laughs> and I, was, I, 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 I kept hearing him laugh as I'm trying to make points. And, uh, and I think it was a tactic. I, I don't want to misread his motives, but there were times where I would ask a question and he would go, <laughs> oh, sorry, it was something funny in the comments. And I, was, I remember hearing that during the debate and I was like, is, is he reading? Is he reading? The and then after the debate, I went back and looked, and there he is, just in the in the YouTube side chat, having conversations with everybody. And um, I, was, I was like, "Well, you know, you and I are debating." And, and during the course of this, he would say, "I watched your videos, and there are so many errors. Maybe we can talk about it in private." I'm like, "Well, my videos are dedicated to this topic. We're debating now publicly. If there was ever a time to..." point out these supposed errors in my reputations of total depravity, perhaps this would be the time. It's, it's um, not about that. It's about frame. He's trying to frame himself as the wise, uh, benevolent teacher, and you're the student who's ignorant. That's exactly what it was. And, and I saw through it, but I don't know how many of his his supporters and fans were able to catch on to that. I think so, well, they're not going to catch on to it unless you do what Arthur Haglund did and call him out specifically on it. Arthur Haglund starts the debate, you're a bully, Matt Slick. You're a bully. He points out the tactic right away. Matt Slick then pivots to, oh, why are you so mean to me? Oh, you, you're hurting me. You need to be more Christ-like. And, and, but he's, he's just a bully. And if you don't pivot and shut it down, it's going to persist through the entire debate. It did. It did. And, you know, I, I did not want to be uh, rude and... and um, abrasive and, and, and uh, unkind. And, but the nice thing about debating Matt was I, I could get pretty snippy right back and still look like a newborn babe in comparison because he was so aggressive. I could, no, that's not. And I, I was able to be a lot more firm with him than I was in, in my, my past debate because the other gentleman I debated was, I, I think, a really nice guy who just disagreed. Um, and so let's just say that there were some personality differences in this most recent one. Well, yeah, it's, it's, it's just, it's, it's him, it's him, it's not you. And so I, I kind of burned a little bit inside watching some of his 
his uh, demeaning comments towards you. I mean, I, I, you're a better man than me. I would have responded way differently and been like, oh, I got this degree. I would have been like, well, you should uh, go return that degree to whatever institution dared to oh. give it to you and probably burn that place to the ground forever you're daring to issue oh. that. Well, I'm, I'm really big into um, uh, trying to understand and, and empathize. My background is a, is a writer. I used to used to make movies, and so I would just sit in places and I would study people and try and understand their motives and come up with backstories, and that's a whole other story. But as as Matt is telling me, I've got I've got this degree from a Calvinist seminary. What I saw, and maybe I'm wrong, maybe I'm reading into it, was if you're right, I've wasted my life. And so I, when he said that, it wasn't in my mind. Him saying, I've got all these credentials and I'm more authoritative than you. I saw him going, if what you're saying is true, I've wasted my life. And so I, I actually felt sorry for okay, him. When yeah, but you, you might internally feel that. But unless you point it out, the audience won't also feel that way. No, um, you're right. And so if you if you did point that out and say, it feels to me like you're you're mentioning that because what you're saying is you have a vested life interest in being correct. And so you you don't want to be incorrect or else you wasted your life. Uh, I'm so used to guarding my tongue and trying to control those those thoughts that are rolling through. Uh, then in the debate, I'm going, should I say it? Should I not? Should I? Say it? And then the, the moment's passed. And I find that most often than not, let's say three out of the four times, it was probably a good thing that I didn't speak up. Right, you know? and and it probably was for this debate. Uh, I think you you held the course, be being nice and generous. And not pulling it out because he did. He acted like a buffoon, and um, not giving into that probably portrayed you in the better light. But let us actually look at the material of his uh, ad hoc argument, his his opening his opening post, as I say, or his uh, opening round, and see what he says. Total depravity is a true. So, um, right before he starts, uh, everyone can make a prediction. Does he define total depravity? He's the first. Uh, he's the first debater in a debate on if total depravity is true. Does he define it? And everyone, everyone can make a bet in their own mind. I made a bet before the debate started if he was going to actually define it, and uh, I would have cashed in money on that. So <laughs> let's go ahead. Worked in is total depravity true? I'll make sure we note that. All right, so we're going to start off our opening statements with 10-minute opening statements. Then we're going to follow that with a five-minute rebuttal. And then we're going to go with a 15-minute cross-examination. The first 30 minutes would be 15 minutes each to ask questions. And then we'll follow that up with 20-minute, uh, more of an open discussion. Then we'll... All right. Oh, man. So, so he, he starts out muted. And so... Uh, I think you're muted to, again, Matt. He gets to unmute. Yeah, I'm clearing my throat a lot. So I've been... been uh doing that sorry about that so we must first define our terms what is total okay. depravity uh, total depravity is a teaching that man is completely touched by sin and all of what he is and so his heart soul mind body strength all of it has been affected by sin but it is not to say that he is as bad as he can be we could always be worse in our sin total depravity is still retained upon regeneration but uh we are regenerate and we war against the okay so let's go with that quote-unquote definition man is completely tainted by sin that, that doesn't seem like a very good or useful definition it doesn't seem like the definition that he might put on his own website right 
No, it, it certainly doesn't sound like the definition that we agreed to prior to the debate, let alone his numerous articles, teaching videos, interviews, and past debates articulating this very doctrine. Uh, it was somewhat amorphous. Uh, I think that he had watched enough of my videos and content to where he knew that I had pretty much dialed in on the, the numerous errors. I think that if he was too concise uh, and actually stuck to the debate definition that we'd agreed to, he, he would have already lost before he opened his mouth. So he had to have somewhat of an amorphous, vague... Uh, you'll see even in the debate, he uh, argues against total depravity multiple times because it was expedient for him to try and gain a, a point in one-upsmanship for the purposes of the audience. But he was actually arguing against his own position 25% of the time, if not yeah, more. That, that's one of the things Matt Slick does as a human being. He will literally say anything... If uh, if he thinks that it'll give him a debate advantage, he has no principles, and, and you see that in his various debates, he will literally say anything to win a debate, no matter if it's true or not. The Will Duffy debate, uh, he denied he denied knowing the context of Jeremiah eighteen, even though the week before he recorded a video covering Jeremiah eighteen. Uh, in preparation for the very debate in which he denied that he knew the context of Jeremiah 18. I, I remember that. I was. I love the fact that you guys called him out on that because that was just blatant. He will literally say anything. He'll literally say anything. And so if he thinks it's expedient, uh, that will be his position. And uh, that's why it was very interesting that you printed out a bunch of uh, these CARM.org articles saying, well, this is what you argued here before, because his contradictions are shown that he he does just say anything. And it really riled him up and w when you started quoting his own words back to him. Don't, don't you, quote me over the last 30 years where I've consistently articulated it. Uh, deal with what I'm saying inconsistently now, tonight. Yeah, he got really upset about that. Right, so in the Will Duffy debate, uh, that same thing happened where Will Duffy said, well, you said this on your website. He says, well, I'll have to go change that. How much do you want to bet? We could put a bet tonight if that article has changed or not since the Will Duffy debate years ago. I, I'm going to bet it. I bet, bet it's not changed. Guaranteed. Um, he doesn't internalize arguments. He brought up in this debate with you the Acts 13 verse in which uh, the people were ordained to eternal life, quote unquote. Um, meaning, uh, did he ever deal with Will Duffy's argument on that, that that uh, verb is in the middle passive and the people are ordaining themselves? He doesn't seem to have ever addressed that or internalized it in such a manner that it's still one of his proof texts. He still brings it up. You've been thoroughly refuted on something, but you don't care because it's about winning and defending your team, not about truth. It was, it was interesting because in the debate, he, he literally began attacking truth, reason, and wisdom. <laughs> uh, that was, that was, I, what was funny was I was listening so much to Matt I'm so glad this debate's over. I don't have to do that anymore. I was listening to so much of his team and articles and, and all of this in preparation. Um, but oh my gosh, yeah, it, what a what a relief! I'm not having to do that anymore. Um, what was what was really interesting too was when I would when I would say, "Look, Matt, you're you've said tonight in preparation for tonight with the debate uh, definition we agreed to with your numerous articles that the natural man cannot understand spiritual things." He goes, oh, 
cannot understand and receive them. <laughs> and like that changed something. And I was talking to someone after the debate and I said, if I told you there's poison in the cake that someone's offering you and you said, and they told you, no, there's poison in chocolate. Like, would, would that really change too much there? And so, so by coming in and saying, uh, okay, I'm going to change the definition, but I'm not getting rid of it. I'm just going to slightly alter it enough to where I can amorphously say that you're not representing me, even though nothing really fundamentally changed here. Yeah, I, 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 think it's, I think it's one of those pivots that he does that he will literally say anything uh, inconsistent with uh, past history. Every time I'm dealing with a Calvinist about a meaning of a text and I show them alternative valid meanings to their proof texts, they, they resort to this thing, oh, you're not regenerated, so you don't understand the text. That is their default position. Uh, I think I made a video about it once, and then it happened like, that very same day that it just immediately de degenerated into, Oh, you're right. not, you're not regenerate. So you don't understand the meaning of this text. That was the whole point. Um, I still have my props from the debate, but that was the whole point of this was to use that against them because I wanted to show them like, Hey, you, you can tell people they're not regenerated. They don't understand truth. But the simple fact of the matter is, is that total depravity makes it to where you don't know if you know truth, you could be unregenerate too. Right. And so, I don't know how well that went over, but I, I liked it. It. I, it was great in the fact that um, you said it was an, an analogy, and he claimed that your analogy was false because your analogy was about things other than the thing you're uh, analogizing. Uh, it, it, it was so insane and ridiculous. Everyone was laughing. We, there was a wide laughter at Maslick's ex expense because – he doesn't understand how analogies work. Analogies uh, represent a concept which is applied to another area. That's not the analogy. You don't make an analogy of the exact same thing you're analogizing. It's that's not how analogies work. He said, "Have I ever? Uh, did you hear me ever teach that people can't tell the difference between a marker and a calculator?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're, they're placeholders for spiritual truth. That, that was the whole point of the example. You never said that. Oh, well, I was quite clear in that. I, I spoke fast, but I, I certainly articulated it. And so uh, when I when I was talking to uh, Matt Slick during the Will Duffy debate, uh, he would make the analogy about uh, Christ paying our debt, and he'd he'd use monetary debt as an analogy. So this would be the equivalent to me saying um, Jesus didn't uh, die, denominate our sin in dollars. Uh, there's no cash changing hand here, Matt Slick. So uh, he, he, he really has no standards. Uh, he, well, being, being that it was spiritual, he probably used Ethereum, you know, the, the, dig the digital currency. The digital, it was Bitcoin. I'll say, Matt Slick, are you talking about Bitcoin? I don't understand here. What, what does, is there money or something involved? Is Bitcoin? No, um, Matt Slick just has zero intellectual standards. But we did it. We're, we're like three seconds into... Uh, the debate and like 30 minutes into our discussion. Yeah, so I'm going to. And that was a fun debate. <laughs> the forces, as Paul said in Romans, 6, uh, Romans 7, 18 through 25, I believe it was. So <clears throat> this total depravity. Okay, so here's one thing he really does. Uh, just uh, everyone needs to watch it. He's shotgun proof text. He'll make a comment, he'll link it to a verse. He'll make another comment, he'll link it to a verse. He'll do it in rapid succession. But he doesn't ever show that any of those verses actually mean what he's claiming and so again my my rule of thumb is if you turn to their first verse and show that their first verse doesn't say what they claim it says 
then you I have carte blanche to to just dismiss everything else that they've shotgunned. Uh, I didn't see you doing that in the rebuttal, making that argument that his shotgun proof texting is invalid because none of these verses say what he actually wanted them to say. But if, if there was a cross-examination and I was involved in the debate, I would put out that rule of thumb, I'd turn to the first verse that he mentioned, and I'd talk to him specifically about that until he admits that there's alternative valid readings. And that puts into question all his proof texts because you, you don't have time to go over 50 different proof texts. Uh, and so when, when I was in, in prep with this, I was driving and I was talking to the Lord. <clears throat> and I said, you know, Father, I can almost guarantee this gentleman is going to shoot me with 50 proof texts that don't teach what he says. And I have a whole list that I've been preparing for uh, my, my uh, original sin and total gravity series where we're going to be exegeting each one of these. There's no way that I'm going to be able to correct these 50 false assertions about Scripture in the time that I, I had a five-minute rebuttal. So I said, Lord, I would love to just be able to come back and dismiss everything he says with just a simple statement and show how all of it is false. And I don't know if I would convey this as, as well as I, I hoped I would, but I, I wanted to demonstrate. So I, I said, you know, to be clear, we both have studied the scripture, seeking, right? These are all buzzwords, studied, seeking to understand <laughs> what it is that scripture teaches us. I study the Bible, believing God created me capable of understanding and being taught by it, while Mr. Slick studies the Bible, believing he's incapable of understanding any of it. And so I thought that that was a really good way to dismiss <laughs> his 50 proof texts without having to exegete each one of them, because I could show the ridiculous claims. But I don't know if everybody else kind of saw that, caught on, or would even agree that was the best, best method. But I really wanted to debate him in a way that wasn't your typical standard, you know, let's argue over proof text, because I knew that's what he was wanting, and that we could get bogged down. And then at that point, all of his fans think that his analysis was correct, Anyone who agrees with me would think my analysis was correct. His fans are going to think that regardless. That's true. Well, I've, I've witnessed that as a result. That... <sighs> yeah, I was dealing with the guy in the comments, and I said, I, Matt Slick's a liar. I have a video that, that proves it. He says, oh, so what you're telling me is you slandered Matt Slick. No, you could just watch the video. It's like two minutes, and it's uh, no kidding pointing out his lies. He's a liar. He, he's, a, he's a bad human being. Um, it's it's not that hard. And so his, his fans instantly on the defensive saying that I'm the slanderer without even looking at my evidence. These are cultists. We're, we're not dealing with thinking rational people that are processing arguments. It's, 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 it's a waste of your time to deal with them as if they're thoughtfully interacting with you. They're not. They got talking points. Matt Slick has talking points. Um, he doesn't have interaction. He doesn't. He doesn't listen to your view, in with a mind to understand your view. He has his view, and his goal in any debate is just to say what his view is over and over again. And his fans look at that. Oh, he just said his view. Oh, he read this verse, and he told us what he thinks that verse means. He must have won the debate when he doesn't prove that the verse means the things that he claims. Well, I, so, think, I, think favorite, I think his favorite defense during this debate was just call me a heretic as loud and authoritatively as he can 
and then and then declare victory. because he didn't have a response to your your blanket blanket dismissal of his entire methodology and it so i think actually that was a really good strategy because i think that uh disturbed him in his core and probably rattled him more than than a normal debate would because he didn't know how to process it i'm the, this he he literally has mental deficiencies i'm not he yeah. claims it and me i claim it too um but he literally admits to having these mental problems and you 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 flip that mental mental switch you're seeing an autistic meltdown because he's encountering a situation that he doesn't know how to handle which is great it's great to have that on camera after that after my opening statement and i started hearing him attack epistemology and then defend epistemology and then try and use epistemology while attacking truth and reason saying that he knows truth and reason uh, when he came out with that sort of response, I said, oh my gosh, like this opening statement was way more effective than I hoped it would be. Like I, I had high hopes for it. I really felt like the Lord had you know, led me in that direction. But the way that he responded, I was like, I was trying not to, oh, oh, this, you know, I wonder what this red button would do. And apparently it's, you know, the, it's that was a button. Bomb. It's linked to a bomb. Like, okay, cool. That was, so. Uh, yeah, it, it was a good strategy. I'm going to hit play on him, and we'll keep moving. It means that the unregenerate will not, of their own free, sinful state, uh, freely choose to receive Christ, because their hearts are desperately wicked. Uh, okay, so yeah, so he finds a verse, uh, their hearts are desperately wicked. That means, in his mind, that uh, they won't try to seek Christ. Well, I know wicked people who, who do a lot of different things with a lot of different motivations. And uh, it's, it's not clear from his reference that it's actually talking about total depravity, that someone's incapable of seeking God or turning to God or wanting to know the truth. But no, it doesn't say anything about them being created, unable to understand the things of God. It just says they're wicked. Right. So, uh, you know, oh, here's somebody saying that they're wicked. That must Here's a verse saying that something about sin or men sinning. That proves that God created them as sinners in their mother's womb. So, so it, it, one of my strategies when dealing with Calvinists is you take similar phrases that are not about God. So um, where they say, oh, God knows all things. Well, there's a lot of verses that say man knows all things. And so you point out those verses and then they are stuck in this weird world where they have to explain why one phrase applied to God means their theology and the other phrase applied to man doesn't because if they applied the same meaning to both both sets both both sets of words um, then they're going to get some sort of absurdity that they want to reject so it, it leaves them attempting to explain reading comprehension rather than just asserting meanings of verses and this is this is, was my trigger to matt slick after the will duffy debate in which i interacted with him and he said oh god knows all things uh one john three twenty. i said well man knows all things one john two twenty. uh just just the previous chapter the same phrase is used about man uh he went ballistic uh, he had one of the these meltdowns these mental meltdowns because he didn't know how to handle it I think I saw that. You had that recorded, didn't you? Oh, I didn't record that, but I've talked about that multiple times. Anytime I talk about Slick, it's 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 a good illustration of this man's intellectual disintegrity 
how disingenuine and disingenuous he is and his uh, failure to understand Greek. He doesn't understand Greek. He doesn't understand biblical textual criticism, um, which is really funny because he, he touts his degrees. He didn't know what the Byzantine text was. He didn't know what the majority text was. Uh, he's go he's turning to these uh, other texts. He's turning to these critical texts to try to prove his, his little theories. Oh, I think he's looking at the English. I think he's looking at the English and trying to use the English translations. I, d I don't think the guy knows Greek. It's so funny. Oh, in that debate, I asked him word morph morphology about middle versus passive. And I said, what would, what would this verb look like if it was middle? You, you claim it's passive. If it was middle, what would it look like? He's like, well, you want me to explain what, what uh, a middle and passive are? I said, no, I want you to tell me what the word would look like. Uh, how, how, would, how would this word change the letters in this word in order to make this a passive or middle rather than a passive. Uh, he didn't know. He doesn't know Greek. It's so funny. It's so funny. And 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 the truth is, in the Greek, there's no there's no difference between a middle and passive. You have to use context to figure out whether someone is being acted upon or someone is acting upon themselves. And so in that Acts 13 verse, it's God's not the subject in the person ordaining these people to eternal life. A, pr a few few verses prior, the Jews did deem themselves worthy exactly. right there so that's a middle use so uh the jews didn't deem themselves worthy of eternal life and the gentiles ordained themselves to eternal life that's the parallel concept going on there it's definitely a middle going on there oh he just didn't understand it it was so so glorious but the point of all this is if you take similar phrases in different contexts and ask them to explain normal reading comprehension things this is this is where they melt down because what they like to do is they like to pull out a verse and just tell you what they think the verse means there there's no serious reading comprehension going on there there's no serious textual skills going on there they think that just stating their opinion is the same as making an argument it's not it's glorious oh i love it so much you know you know what is as as as, <clears throat> as an unstudied lay person Someone comes in with tremendous authority, starts using, um, you know, a Greek term. They tell you middle, passive, whatever. And they assert with great conviction that it means this. And if you doubt it, it's heresy. They, they basically use fear and intimidation. And the average person doesn't stop and go, you know, let me get out a, a Greek and a, maybe an interlinear. And let's, let's go do a word. You know, let me get on Google and see if what he's saying is true. Instead, they go, I can't question it. I'll be a heretic. I, I, <laughs> there's a Calvinist. Uh, he said, this is the reason I became a Calvinist, this Acts 13 verse. And I posted a comment saying, well, th these are the reasons it's probably a middle. And he deleted my comment after everyone was saying, this guy's right. And you're wrong. And this is a really terrible reason to become a Calvinist. He deletes my comment. Oh, it's so funny. So funny. But yeah. I didn't mean to cut you off there, but uh, no, you're, you're good. I, uh, I'm, wondering, I'm wondering if the gentleman who, who did that was a moderator in a Calvinist group that cursed probably. me, kicked uh, me. They, they don't like pushback and they don't like being showed dumb, but uh, modern people, uh, normal lay people, I think they understand language 
a little bit better than some of these Greek experts. These Greek experts are looking very carefully with a fine-tooth comb for, oh, what's the declension and, and, and what's the conjugation of this verb? But normal language, we, we don't talk with uh, specific mechanics and syntax that force things to mean different things our, our our language is loose and uh there's there's a lot of idioms that are embedded in our language and so the same phrase can mean multiple di different things depending on context i might say my wife's the most attractive woman in the world i i, I could be telling a joke maybe she's ugly it, it's a joke I, I could be saying that she's the most attractive physically to me i could be just just straight out lying it could have been a lie uh it could be that i'm saying that uh, if everyone was to be ranked on a scale of one to ten all women my wife would be at the top others uh, there's so much meaning that could be found in this one little phrase language doesn't work as if it's if it's a one plus one equals two language is fluid and dynamic and so people claiming this one interpretation is the correct interpretation they fundamentally don't understand the inner workings of language fundamentally and you see this in the tyler tyler vela debate uh, yeah that's the gentleman that cursed me out and kicked me from a group because i had him admit that some things about Calvinism he didn't want to admit. Uh, yeah. I think he's blocking me after that. Yeah, real, real, he's, he's a very sweet and charming individual. Uh, he is the worst. Uh, so if we're, we're ranking everyone by worseness, Tyler Vela is at the top. Maybe <laughs> Matt, Matt Slick is under there. And maybe... Maybe wedged between is James White. Uh, maybe maybe that's the hierarchy of terrible Calvinists. Uh, I'm, thinking, I'm thinking a three-way tie. It's going to be a photo finish. Oh man, it's, it's such a evil individual. I was I was talking to him about Servetus, and he's he's making all these excuses for why Calvin killed Servetus, and and I listed out the twelve different reasons. I've talked about this before, but I said which which one of these twelve points that I'm making is false, and he couldn't point to one. He said yes, but you need to look at something else that's not your twelve points, and then you'll see. Ah, it was a good thing. Yeah, it's great that Calvin killed Ser. Oh, Mm, bad person. Anyways, we're we're moving off the yeah. debate. I'm gonna I'm gonna play him again. We're, we're like we're like three seconds into his opening round. Jeremiah seventeen nine says, and they're enslaved to sin. Romans six, fourteen through twenty. They cannot receive spiritual things. First Corinthians two fourteen. They're dead in their sins. Ephesians two one. They're by nature child children of wrath. Ephesians two three. They're at enmity with God. That means hatred. So uh, another rule of thumb. If if you if you're trying to make a point and you're jumping from one verse in one context to another verse in a completely a different context and saying this verse means this and this verse means this so this verse plus this verse means this third point by the second jump uh, you're probably just making things up. In separation, that's Ephesians two fifteen. They can do no good. Romans three ten other than twelve. They have the free will to choose. Uh, the Calvinists do not. Do not deny free will, even of the unbelievers. Free will is simply uh, the we ability to make choices consistent. And so uh, shotgun proof texting is a way to intimidate someone. And so there, there's various ways to counter this. You could have your own list, and your own list could be just a bunch of random nonsense verses that don't mean anything in shotgun proof text and show them what's like to deal with a whole bunch of uh, verses that don't actually mean what they say. Or you could have a preset list. I have a I have a YouTube video I made of uh, 75 verses or 71 verses 
uh, that teach open theism. And it's just, uh, it's a, uh, what is it? There, there's this cartoon figure and there's boxes. It's one of those N64 games and the, and the verses scroll up. And so it's like two minutes of all these, this, this huge flash of information or Will Duffy. He has his website that lists out a ton of different verses in different categories. And so if, if we're playing the shotgun proof text verse thing, there's different strategies of handling it. And of course, use the rule of thumb that if their first verse doesn't mean what they claim, you could dismiss them all. And you got to lay that out for the audience. That's it, one of those, one or all of those methods are good at handling the shotgun proof texting. It's an intimidation strategy. What's your nature is that are not forced upon you. Unbelievers are perfectly free to choose whatever they want, and they're going to choose in a manner consistent with the revelation of Scripture and the revelation. Of okay, so um, uh, did he just define free will? Did did we miss that? Because he does that here. I wanted to talk about his definition. I don't, I don't deny it, but um, I don't. I don't know if he defined it. He, he does somewhere, and here's what he says about free will. He says, "Free will is the ability to choose consistent with your nature." And I'm yeah. watching the debate. I have my kids around me, and I say, "Hey, kids, uh, do you notice anything about his definition of free will? According to his free will, do com or his definition of free will? Do computers do computers have free will according to that definition? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Computers yeah. choose consistent with their nature. They're programmed to make one choice or another. They choose consistent with their nature, and so that definition of free will." is not useful. It's not what normal people think about free will. And it means that non-sentient beings like computers have free will. That's it, what it, it means. It's a complete redefining of it to make it fit with your system. Just like he's doing with all of the proof texts. It, it, I, I want to be, be kind here. But, but what happens is, uh, the, reason, the reason I named my ministry Idol was because I realized that I was a Pharisee. I was a Calvinist who was going to Scripture, carving an idol from the pages of Scripture, taking verses out of context and reshaping them into a God of my own choosing, Calvinism. And I was leaving more on the floor than I was on the altar. And, uh, and so when I see others doing it, I'm not, not going to claim that they're doing it intentionally in most cases. I did it unknowingly. But it's still a form of idolatry because you're you're taking scripture, you're carving something out of it that you want, and you're discarding the rest. And so when you end up with proof text, sometimes it's good to come in and say, well, this, this passage says men sin, and this passage says men sin. Okay, we can make a point with that. Or God says that he doesn't want anyone to perish, and uh, that, he'll, that, that he delights more in mercy than judgment. Okay, we can, we can take proof text and and try and have a, a reasonable conversation. But if I take a proof text saying, oh, here's men sinning, that means that as a result of Adam's transgression in Eden, all mankind is born spiritually dead, guilty, possessing his sinful nature, guilt, unable to understand spiritual truth, or even dispose themselves to such things. Like, what have I done with that? I'm holding it as decoration for this philosophy that I'm really elevating. And, uh, and that's what I saw him doing with this. And I knew that that was what because in all of his teachings for total depravity, that's what he does. And so, um, yeah, um, it, it's, it's a sad thing in my mind to watch because I see my family members. I have a lot of family members that are still in Calvinism. 
Uh, and I know that they do that. Uh, I know that I did that. Uh, my dad and mother, before they were delivered to Calvinism, they did that. Uh, and so as, as irritating and frustrating and angry as it, as it can make me watching this, I still go, I, I did that. You know, like I'm angry that it's happening. And, and I, I, again, I don't know if it's self-deception or if he was like me that had been deceived by others being so convincing. Uh, and I just kind of took that and started reading the Bible the way that I. Uh, but regardless of motives, it's wrong. It is flatly wrong. Yeah, you're more <laughs> you're more understanding and, and gracious than I am. Well, the scripture clearly yeah. says that they are haters of God who do no good. Romans 3, 10, 11, and 12. They're, they cannot receive spiritual things. 1 Corinthians 2, 14. They cannot um, <clears throat> free themselves from that bondage. And uh, because of the effect of sin upon them, they are enslaved to sin. Romans 6. Uh, so, so he adds phrases in, and then he, he links them to verses. And the verses, uh, it's, it's, you have to turn to that verse to see which phrase actually links to that verse in what context and which phrase he just added in as a filler between verses. This, this fluid way where you're just uh, casually referencing verses is a really good way to smuggle in your theology into these verses without any, without any uh, serious, serious discussion. One thing I like to do in my work is when I, I talk about a verse, um, I'd like to at least footnote it. You know, you put it in a footnote so people can read the full text so that they, they don't have to spend five minutes looking up a verse because often when the verses are just referenced, people don't necessarily understand what the verse says. And uh, a lot of times people are lazy, so they don't want to pull the verse up. Like, like I'll do it in the Facebook group in which someone references a verse with a question and they don't quote the verse. I'll just copy and paste the verse for discussion so people can see what it actually says. People are lazy. And so it's a really good way to smuggle your theology into the Bible by not actually listing out anywhere uh, what the verse says so people can't check what you claim it says against what it actually says. It, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's this A.W. Pink strategy. I don't know if you've ever read anything by A.W. Uh, Pink. I, I grew up learning to read on the King James Bible and Pink Sovereignty of God. That's how I was taught to read. Um, Pink, Pink is the absolute worst. For a long time is, is, is not an understatement. But, you know, what's, what's interesting is um, I've got this series where we're, we're going through original sin and total depravity. And I'm, I'm, I, the first episode, I steel man it. And then from there, I start exposing undercutting defeaters, uh, examining its impact on other doctrines and the problems that it causes. Uh, and then we're now moving into a phase where we're executing the, the go-to proof texts for total depravity that the Calvinists use. We just did Genesis 6-5. But one of the things that I'm trying to do very carefully is um, look at the immediate uh, grammar, the context, uh, the broader context. So, all right, well, what's going on? A verse above it, the verse below it, the chapter before it, the chapter uh, you know, uh, following that, subsequent that. And if we're in the Old Testament, is the New Testament referencing and how is it? And so that we can have a full understanding of that proof text to really just give a robust understanding of why taking Genesis 6-5 out of context and say, oh, it teaches we're born uh, is is woefully misrepresenting the word of God. And, and it's done so flippantly. 
because they believe total depravity is true, they feel completely fine saying this verse that's not saying that teaches that. Right. Absolutely. Uh, one thing that you pointed out is that you try to steal man the other side. And yeah, I think it'd be very interesting in a cross-examination with Matt Slick to just ask him the question, what's my position on this verse? And it has to be something that you've covered, like in your opening statement or something like that. Uh, just Maybe in the second debate we have with him, if we can arrange that, that will happen. Yeah, that, it would be good because it'll show, he'll say, well, I'm not going to have to. It's like, I explained it in my opening statement. I just want you, I just want to be able to understand that you understand my position on this verse. Uh, that that you've internalized it and enough to critique it because if you can't even state what my position is on it, uh, how are you? We having this debate? How if you don't understand what your critics actually believe? How are you even interacting? And so uh, it it will it would force him to try to uh, explain what he believes his opposition's uh, position is on a specific verse, and then then you could hit him with okay, so why is that explanation wrong? If he succeeds, he won't succeed. He doesn't internalize anyone else's arguments. Why is that explanation wrong and your explanation correct? And when I was presenting the incarnation to him as a means of redemption, he would he, he internalized it, but then he rejected it and refused to engage with it. So I was like, hey, Matt, okay, assume with me for a moment that total depravity isn't true. He goes, okay, I'm assuming heresy. <laughs> Okay, that was that was a drink. That that was that was a drink moment. I think they were already dead by that point. But it was like assume assume with me that total depravity is false and that we're born innocent. And Hebrews two fourteen through eighteen meant what it said. Jesus came like us in every respect, taking up our flesh and blood to redeem us, becoming a faithful high priest. That he was tempted in all respects as we were, and while we go astray into sin, he didn't, and that redeemed us. Explain to me why that would be heresy. And he goes, Pelagian, Pelagian, Pelagian. I was like, no, just explain it. Heresy, heresy. Explain to me what, Pelagian. You said you're not a Pelagian. Pelagian. And I could never get him to engage. And even though I know, I saw in his eyes, and I, I watched him internalize it, and I knew it, and he couldn't find flaws with it, he had to attack it as heresy. And so, I, very dishonest, in my opinion. That was a great part of the debate where you actually asked him the question, did Jesus come like us in all respect? Because this is what Maslick was trying to do to you with some of his questions. His questions were very leading, like, um, does this verse say this one thing? I mean, you can't say no, but if you say yes, he'll instantly say, oh, that means my theology. Yeah. Uh, so you really need to say, well... It, it does say this, but it doesn't mean what you want it to, to say. But he, was claiming, he was claiming the first in, in First Corinthians two fourteen that that they were articulating the Trinity as he articulates. <laughs> uh, that, that's a condition of being a Christian. I was like, Matt, it doesn't like, say that. I'm a Trinitarian, right? But it doesn't say that. Like they, they could have been modalists. They could have not even have, have even worked that part out yet. We know it was formally articulated in Nicaea. It was probably articulated before then. But we're arguing from silence no matter what position we take here. And you're elevating your opinion, right? Your reasoning, if you wanted to attack yeah. me, to the position of salvific. 
And so that that is one one criticism when he brought up that first question. It's easy to 2020 uh, hindsight vision <laughs> criticize uh, that you didn't instantly say, well, the verse is in specific. And so it's best not to speculate in a debate. Um, I, there, there was a lot of time where he's like, name three things that uh, someone can't accept. It's like, does, does this context, is there, there like three things listed in the context? You're looking in the con, what, what are you talking about, Matt? It's like, is this a question? Is this a question? Does this question have to do with total depravity? It's, uh, it's, and so a lot of time was wasted there. But when you talk to him about Hebrews and you said, uh, did Jesus come like us in all respects? He instantly, he couldn't answer. He couldn't just say yes. He's like, not every respect. He didn't come over oh. sinful nature. And and he understood that he was in 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 the trap that he kept trying to lay for you. Um, because it, it's a flat denial of what's said there. And I was pointing out to the people that I was in the room with. I'm sorry to keep talking over you here. Uh, I, I pointed out to the people that I was uh, on the Discord with that Hebrews, the point is that Jesus did come like us in all respects, but since he lived differently and made different choices, that somehow is is the reason why he was able to atone for us. If if he had this special enabling where he he can't sin or doesn't have the sin nature that we do, that nullifies the point that the author of Hebrews was trying to give to his audience. It nullifies it. If Jesus, if Jesus came like you and me, in every respect, 98%, right? Then you and I are still 2% condemned and unredeemed, right? right. How, how, much, how much sin and corruption is, is God going to withstand come judgment? 2% sin nature? Uh, is he going to withstand 2% total depravity? Like, if, if Jesus did not come like us in, a, in, in every respect, 100% taking up all of those things of our nature in order to redeem them, then we have no hope. And that's why 1 John 4 calls it the spirit of Antichrist. And so um, as, as he was getting into that, and, and I was asking him, he was he was real quick to answer, nope. And then as I went on and elaborated, he goes, whoa, slow down. You're, you're asking too much. And, and you're, you're not making any sense. You're not, you're not being clear here. And I was like, you answered it really quickly. And now that you see where it's going, now you don't understand question like okay yeah yeah he feigns ignorance oh man you're you're too fast and then he or or he'll turn his uh microphone off while he does a little bit of research real quick so that he can respond to you let me google that real quick click oh as i'm muted i'm sorry i oh it's so funny it's so dirty man it's so dirty i'm it's 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 really sad. It it feels. I, I wonder. I wonder if he would ever release to us like his ACT scores or SAT scores, so we could see what his IQ is. Because it it almost feels dirty at some point on your level, like you're you're interacting with someone who's not who's not all the way. He's not functioning with a, a full deck of cards, if you know what I mean. Not all there. I, I'll let him keep talking. 14 through 20. Now, if these things are true, we have to understand that if it's true that the unbeliever is totally depraved, which means affected by sin and all that he is, and the result of that total depravity is that he will not freely choose Christ of his own free will. It's got to be regenerated first. This is an issue of regeneration preceding faith, te not temporally, but logically. A lot of anti-Calvinists get that wrong. They don't understand the difference between temporal priority and logical priority. <laughs> uh, 
what 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 they say by it, they don't understand is oh they don't accept what we teach about this it's that yeah. they, they, they conflate the two things oh if if you only understood you would agree with us they, they there can't. were there were Calvinists that came in in the chat and on the video that were saying that the definition that Matt gave and agreed to before the the debate and that that I, I referenced on um, of his on CARM that that isn't total depravity. And so you have Calvinists coming in and they're arguing. And in the debate, Matt had to like let go of it and, and say, that's not total depravity. Depravity just that we're touched by sin. And that in, when we're in a state of carnal things, we can't, we can't understand the things of God and receive and receive them more. No, and we could understand them, which was very surprising. He said yeah. that the unbeliever can understand the Bible, which is brand new to me. Uh, I've never heard a Calvinist ever argue it in my life. I was surprised. I, I was, I was shocked that he actually said that. I, I think you hit the nail on the head by saying that was his debate strategy, uh, just, just to, just to uh, throw a monkey wrench in the system. Uh, he doesn't actually believe it. He's never taught it before. It's new to this debate. What's this total depravity stuff? You're talking about people sin? Oh yeah, they all sin, right, Calvinists? We, you can all agree with me, Armin. We all sin. Why is one denying we sin? You don't think we sin? That's not total depravity, sir. Come on now, let's let's be honest with the topic. Here. I, I like I like to really mess them up. I say, well, was Joe perfect? And then they go crazy. They're like, ah. <laughs> Well, it's like the text says Job's perfect, and the story kind kind of kind of hinges on him being without sin, or else his punishment could be just because his friends say maybe you had a secret youthful sin, and so if that's an actual argument for why he's being punished, um, that undermines the entire narrative. Ah, oh, it's so funny. Oh, and, and then he was asking, he's like, "Do you know of anyone, anyone who's ever lived that, or any group of people that aren't aren't carnal that?" That, are, that don't fit this text. And I was like, yeah, Genesis 8.21 tells us that we become that way. So everyone up until they become that way meets that that definition and classification. And he was just like, but I, you know, I, don't, yeah. think, I, don't, think, I don't think he had studied Genesis 8.21. You can say, hey, my baby. Outside of his, yeah. My, my baby's pretty good. I just, he just kind of sits there like this all day and he look, kind of looks around. He never cries. That guy's pretty good. My baby. He's not living very carnally. From conception until young adulthood, you know, like those that that's the age in which man is born and slowly corrupted. And at that point, once we're corrupted and the imagination of our hearts becomes set on wickedness, then we fit that carnal mindset that, that I was bringing up to him. But but he was like, oh, uh, all unbelievers, right? You're, you're saying all unbelievers. And I was like, no, I'm saying a specific group of unbelievers, Matt. Right. He, was, he, was, he was trying to box box me in there. That there there was a lot of time spent there. That I the audience, the Discord audience, your Discord audience, felt that you could have cut that time out by being more direct in your answer, saying, "Yeah, a subset of unbelievers and a subset of Christians fall under the carnal definition." And in the next chapter, I kept posting in the chat uh, where where Paul says, "I address you as carnal." You guys aren't spiritual yet. Yeah, he's talking to Christians. Yeah. The Christians are carnal. Uh, yeah. They're not there yet. They they they're not of the spiritual mindset. And so yeah, uh, Paul's Paul's definitely talking to Christians as well as unbelievers. Maybe we'll get into it later. But if it is true 
that man, uh, the unbeliever, is a slave of sin, hater of God, who can do no good, cannot receive the spiritual things, is dead in his trespass. So again, he's just weaving together very specific, isolated phrases from various parts of the Bible and just weaving them together and building a theology out of not even full verses, partial fragments weaved together. This, this, is, this is bad theology and sins is by nature a child of wrath his heart's full of evil if it's true then that means he's incapacitated and that we would then logically be required to find that god would be the one who does the saving and the opening of the heart and mind and things like that does all that follow i don't think he's demonstrated not only that but he's he's assuming he knows how god opens the hearts and mind and it's not through truth and knowledge and information and revelation but it's a fundamental change in your nature. So he's, if, even if we, even if we conceded the first conclusion that God had to change and 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 act upon us, he's assuming he knows how God acts upon us and changes us. And so it's it's one assumption begetting another assumption, and it's like we're just getting further and further and further away from what the text is actually saying. Yeah, and Romans he says that people are without excuse because God has revealed to them uh, the hidden things, and so everyone. According to Romans, everyone has been approached by God in some fashion, and now that makes them culpable for rejecting. And so God has enabled everyone. God's fa- the Calvinists don't like this because they don't like to say, "Oh, God, God," or Jesus did, never died for anyone who uh, he did never fail to save anyone. God never fails, and so if Christ died for someone, and that person's not saved. That's a failure on God's part. Well, guess what, God. God petitioned the world. God, God sought the world. He gave the entire world knowledge of him, and they rejected him. Yes, sometimes God fails reaching well, and, people. What's interesting, too, is as a result of what Christ did, everyone will be bodily resurrected. Literally everyone. And they conflate the bodily resurrection with salvation, but it's not. After death comes the judgment. So everyone, because Christ obtained victory, 100% over the grave, we're all being bodily resurrected. But it's the righteous and reconciled that are raised to eternal life, while the wicked and, and un, unrepentant are raised to judgment. So for them to say, oh, if anyone goes to hell, Jesus failed. <clears throat> and Jesus, his mission was to conquer death. He did that fully. How, how is that a failure? You still have to give an account for your life. No, 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 no. God made me uh, a sin incarnate. It's his fault I'm a sinner. It wasn't me, Lord. But the... And it's like, that's not going to hold up too well come judgment, guys. I think I know what line you're Yeah. Your behavior and, and thoughts and actions before you get there. Yeah, you, you cut out a little bit during some of that. But I, I think we, we get, get your point. Um, I, the Bible is very, very specific on trying to make sure people are without excuse and so calvinism gives people excuses and uh it, it, it's fundamentally incompatible with what the bible's trying to do with guilt and with uh, personal guilt in order to save them because remember if the scriptures are true what we say by default the scriptures are true whatever god says is true that's the ultimate authority we read the scriptures we believe the scriptures so this is his way against uh, being reasonable and rational. He says, um, the, this is how I read the Bible. And since the Bible is true, how I read it is also true. He begs the question. And yep. he 
and he does this throughout. And so this is his way to say, all my contradictions are true because this is how I read the Bible and the Bible is true. But you point out, um, we have to use our rational and reasoning to read the Bible. And if it doesn't make sense, it's probably not the Bible that's wrong. Probably our, our reasoning in, uh, is is misfiring or we're misunderstanding something the Bible says. By, by pointing out his faulty reasoning, somehow that meant I was elevating my scripture. And I'm like, that's you so know, funny. It was an attack against reason. We could both be we could both be unreasonable. That doesn't mean scripture's wrong. Uh, pointing out your your undercutting defeaters and self defeating arguments isn't have, elevating my reasoning about scripture. It's showing that you don't understand it. We we have to read the Bible. We we have to read the text and process the information and come to the conclusions about the text. It's not like the Bible is like magic to us like if there's a magic feed straight that in the calvinist in calvinism that's what they actually believe they believe there's a gnostic enlightening the bible has this magic feed to your brain you don't use reasoning to interpret the text and so i think this is what triggers him somewhat that he has to come out against reason and rationality uh for this total depravity debate and i, th I think this is why he pivots on this point too oh i the unbeliever they can understand but they just won't accept it yeah <laughs> Had to, had to completely redefine his doctrine oh, in order to hold it. So, like, I mean, doesn't that tell you that there's a problem here, Matt? Like, if you have to redefine a doctrine to defend it, like, is it really worth defending? You know what I mean? You're, you're assuming a lot more intellectual integrity than I give him credit for. I, I don't think he cares about intellectual integrity and consistency. I don't think that's... That's his core value. It wasn't, it wasn't demonstrated in, in the other night's debate, but I'm hoping that Any perhaps, debate. yeah, <laughs> I'm hoping that perhaps maybe that will change. And the scriptures say what they say, and they do say that the man is a slave of sin, a hater of God who can do no good, full of evil, or by nature child of wrath. And can you say any of those things and still believe your theology? Yeah. So they like to do this thing. Oh, this phrase definitely means mine, and my opponent. Uh, they might affirm the same thing. I'm just going to ignore that fact that they could say that with a straight face. Oh, not Blake. In my rebuttal, I said I've read all of the proof texts Matt has offered, and I affirm that 100%. I don't need to refute the scripture. They just don't teach the philosophy he's imposing on them. Yep. So it's like, why would I refute scripture? I, I agree with it. I just don't uh, affirm your interpretation. But reason is flawed and faulty and self-defeating, and you don't have an answer for that. Yeah, so the Calvinists will do something. Oh, you're dead in your trespasses and sin. And uh, someone might respond and say, it doesn't mean what you think by that. And they said, I'm just reading the scripture. Yeah. And that, that will be their argument. It's, it's Paul Washer. Paul Washer did that. We, we just uh, highlighted a clip of his Genesis 6-5 uh, video. And that's how he started out. As he reads Genesis 6-5 and he says, uh, a young reporter came up to me and said, I disagree with your interpretation. And he said, young man, I didn't interpret it. I just read it. Yeah, you read it out of context, superimposing your philosophy on it. That's an interpretation, sir. It's an, it's an implied right. interpretation. Yeah, and they, they think that just reading a verse, oh, if I read the verse predestination, well, predestination doesn't actually mean what they claim. You go look at the use in the ancient world. It doesn't mean this, oh, or uh, picking you from time eternal. doesn't mean it. It just means like selection. The Jews... The Jews specified a blood relationship. That means they're just, they at some point previously have 
decided a doctrine or a position or something like that. Not this eternal, oh, it's not foreknowledge of the future, oh, nothing like that. And so they, they embed all their phrases with hidden meaning that they assume on it. And uh, they, they quote it to you and you try to explain it doesn't mean what they say. And they'll just say, oh, I'm just quoting the scripture. One of the, one of the, nice, things, one of the nice things about witnessing to like Mormons they're very moral people, right? Generally speaking, they're very good. They're good moral. people. They're very good people. Like, um, I would have a Mormon for a friend all day, every day. They're very good people. They're just wrong about the, the things of God because they elevate this thing called the Book of Mormon. But it, it's paper-bound. It, it's it's leather-backed. I can point to it and say, here is this thing that you're elevating above the Word of God. Let's consider it separate side by side in light of scripture. And I can show you, here's what scripture says, and here's what your book says, and I can show you why your book is wrong. They have that going for them, or as Calvinists, while they have the institutes, they don't read the institutes. It's the amorphous theology that's been handed down to them. Uh, and so there's not this thing that I can pick up and say like, look, let's compare that side by side with the scripture, and I can show how you're elevating this philosophy above it. Because it's this ethereal, uh, it's a, a philosophy that's taught from the pulpit, it's taught in seminaries, but it's not a, in a book form. And so in that regard, they can kind of secretly hide the fact that they've elevated it to the place of surpassing the Word of God. Not it's only like, that, but any time they do put it in book form, if you ever quote it to anyone anywhere, they'll say, that guy doesn't represent Calvinist. Nothing ever represents Calvinism. After, after my first debate with uh, uh, JD, who I, I have tremendous respect for, and in no way do I want to uh, disparage him at all, I, I really, really admire and like him. Um, uh, it's many of many of his so-called supporters that came into the debate. At the end of the debate, they said, "Oh, JD didn't represent Calvinism. That's not Calvin," and they became um, vitriolic in attacking him. And so they said, "Well, if if Warren ever debated Matt Slick." Matt Slick would eat his lunch. Well, after the debate with Matt Slick, his same fans came in and said, uh, Matt Slick didn't represent Calvinism. That's not Calvinism. If Warren debated James, uh, James White would have his lunch. And so what you find is, and these, these arguments that I'm presenting, they apply to Calvinism. Uh, and no Calvinist, honestly, can refute them. Because it, truth is truth is my greatest weapon. I, I can go in, standing on the sure foundation, who is Jesus, and have no fear of not being able to refute their philosophy because it's not rooted in truth. It perhaps might point to the truth, like, hey, we believe that over there, but you're not standing over there, sir. You're standing over here. And so what you see is, is this, this um, amorphous ideology, and any time it fails, it wasn't the ideology it was the person who presented it, right? It's it, it's a it's a cult mindset. That's that's part of part of uh, the, there's there's a paper uh, that I read that uh, talks about the cult mindset of Calvinism, their their thought control, their mind control, uh, get their their cult mindset. That is part of it. That mm -hmm. nothing represents it. It's it's unfalsifiable. You can not, never nail it down, and it's it's always they, they're always about narrative over over substance always about narrative and frame over substance but uh, uh we'll play uh, we're probably now uh, 35 seconds into him 
if these things are true, then we would expect to find verses, so to speak, uh, to the call it, not the contrary, but to the corollary effect that we'd have to have God be the one who's doing things. Uh, and for example, what we do, we find that <clears throat> it is God who appoints people to eternal life. Uh, Acts thirteen forty eight. As many as had there, there's the verse. There's the yeah. verse that that Will Duffy said. It's it's a passive middle verb. The people are appointing themselves to eternal life, and he never internalized it. He never dealt with the argument, and it's still part of his verse repertoire of of uh, verses to throw out to prove his position. He does not internalize opponents' arguments. And it wouldn't behoove him to do so because he seems to be doing financially well by uh, just ignoring, ignoring counterpoints. I've been appointed to eternal life believed. And they he does himself. this by choosing us in Christ Who before the foundation of the world, Ephesians yeah. 1 4, Frankly, and he predestines us, Ephesians 1 5. So he's the one who chooses people for salvation, 2 Thessalonians 2 13, as it says, that he chose us from the beginning for salvation. Uh, it's not that he looked in the future to see who. The beginning of what? The right. beginning of the world, apparently, but the Jews. The Jews knew Paul from the beginning. Remember that verse that uh, it's, it's the for Arizo, pro Arizo. Uh, the Jews knew Paul from the beginning. Are the Jews omniscient? Do, do, do they, did they like pre-exist God? They predate time. Remember, now, the Jews are outside of time. They are outside of time. They're yeah. eternal yeah. and timeless. Yes. And so beginning typically just means like, like sometime in the past, like when they first knew Paul, when, when Paul was little. Spoken about from the start of whatever's being spoken about. So what are we talking about? What there was a beginning to what we're talking about. Yeah. So, so if it's God predestined you from the beginning, it's like maybe He got familiar with you, and then He said, "Oh, I like this guy," and so now I'm going to predestine you to adoption or something like that. Uh, same it thing. Also, it could also be. It could also be that God generally predestined mankind to be conformed into the image of Christ. The fall derailed those plans, and so the incarnation an attempt and a successful one to restore that. Right. And so so it, it could be kind of a vague sort of, 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 of a statement. It doesn't have to be. It could be, it could be individual. Uh, yeah. It could be from the beginning of the world. It could be from the beginning of God's relationship with individuals. Matt Chandler, a Calvinist, points out that pro arizo often means it's not like God has intellectual knowledge of you from beforehand. Calvinist Matt Chandler points out it's about having a relationship. God mm -hmm. had a relationship at some point previously is, is what the word means. And so when the Jews foreknow Paul, that just means you guys have been familiar with me in the past. And so the people that God's familiar with in the past, he adopts. Yeah, okay, that's it's fine. So you, you see the underlying assumptions. With those that where he says, depart from me, I never knew you. So you, you can actually see how those two concepts kind of interlink and, and work together. Yeah, so it's it's not the concepts that they would like the verses to mean. They just no, they don't, they don't want that. They don't want that. And you you can't you can't nail them down, and that they don't internalize it when you actually do. Good picking. That's a heresy. Let me get into that. Maybe uh, God predestines us. <laughs> oh, we're getting into heresy, Matt. We're getting we're getting there, sir. You've you've killed us all with alcohol. This is another thing he does. He says, oh, uh, there, there's this whole big topic here. We could get an, I'm such an expert on that. We could talk about that later. You know, expert me. I could talk about eh, anything. I, I'm so smart. I, look at me. I'm at slick. Adoptions of Ephesians 1 5. He calls according to his purpose. 2 Timothy 1 9. He, um, 
<clears throat> grants. Oh man, uh, Armenians and non-Calvinists think that God doesn't uh, call according to his purpose. He calls according to nothing. I, is that what his is that his claim that uh, Armenians claim the opposite that God doesn't call according to his purpose? <laughs> it's, it's really. I mean, I'm, I'm shocked that that's even a, a point worth mentioning because it's like who's who's going to argue with that? Yeah. So one thing that Matt Slick does, and it's it's typical in Calvinists is. Um, they just start talking about an unrelated subject in detail, which gives the perception to the audience listening that um, since they're so detailed in this area, they know so much about this area, this non-controversial thing, that when they just bring up controversial points that are that are relevant to the debate that they don't support at all, that the same level of scrutiny applied over here applies to their proof text on this other hand. It's a bait and switch. Mm-hmm. It's 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 a debate strategy to trick the audience. This is what Matt Slick does. He does it all the time. I'll talk about something irrelevant to the debate in detail, and then just shuffle in things relevant to the debate. Just little he's, clippets. He's dedicated the majority of his life to to learning and trying to master these tactics. And so you know, um, <clears throat> I knew that going into the debate, um, and and I got to experience. Quite a few of those. Uh, I, th- I think you came out on top against this master, master debater. I think, I think you, I think you had the upper hand here. Is is so funny. It, I, I think it's only his cronies who thought he won. Everyone else, it seems like all the neutral people are like, "What the heck is Matt Slick? He's he's freaking I, out." And I can't tell you how many Calvinists message me, friends, family, total strangers, and they're like, "I disagree with you vehemently." But I don't know how to answer the points that you raised, and Matt really blew that debate. That's like, oh, so funny, Mister Master Debater. Ah, oh, Matt Slick. It's the act of believing, Philippians one twenty nine. If a person could believe on their own in their own sinfulness or their own sinful will, then it would be not necessary for God to grant that they believe. But Philippians one twenty nine says uh, that He grants that people believe. He also uh, does he D- does it say that? Yeah. Well, we, we got it. I got into this with him, I think, in the debate. Um, and I said, you know, granting, granting doesn't mean causing. I, I want to go and, and have, I want to petition the king, you know, like, hey, I, I don't like these taxes. I want to talk to you about these taxes you've levied on us. I want to talk to the king. Well, have you been granted an audience? No, <laughs> uh, oh, no, I haven't. Well, you need to wait here until you're granted an audience. And so it's like, I, I want to repent. I, I know that I'm a sinner. Please forgive me. And God has to grant that. God has to pardon you. Yeah. you know, it doesn't mean he's causing it. The, the prodigal son came to his senses. The father didn't go in there and beat him with a stick and change his nature. Right. And so it took you It took you maybe five times as long to talk about that little clip that he just, he just gave as a uh, one-second or two-second throwaway line. It takes about five times longer to actually talk about context or talk about alternative understandings that's not their own. And that's why they love this tactic of just ramrodding proof texts again and again, just pounding you, pounding you, pounding you. It's like you could go into a debate and just have this long list of verses and just read them all in order. Well, my my theology is true because Romans... Five, two, uh, I'm going to get a Bible out. I'm going to start in Genesis 1, and I'm going to go till my out. <laughs> <laughs> okay, all of this affirms me. Uh, I'm just going to start reading Scripture to you. Uh, 
Uh, it's it's terrible. All, all approved text. All approved text. Second Timothy two twenty four twenty five talks about this. If the unbeliever is free to choose God of his own sinful free will, it would not be necessary for God to grant them repentance and grant them faith. Furthermore, <clears throat> uh, it would be God who would then cause us to be born again. As so, so look at how he does it. He says this verse talks about this, and then he makes a statement that's not found in the verses that he just said talks about it. First Peter one three directly says and. John 1, 12 and 13 talks about uh, being born and born again, receiving Christ. and Which must definitely mean his theology. It's, it's, it's not like Jesus in the context explains it. Men must be born again through pre-faith, pre regeneration, given that they were elect from eternity past. That's what it must Where was that last part in that verse again there, Matt? Like, where, where, where was that again? I don't see that. Oh, you just need to be. It's, it's not as if he's talking to someone who says, how can I be saved? And then he explains how that person could be saved. And it's basically believing the gospel, right? right. It's, it's not that. He's not trying to literally, in the conversation that's being quoted, tell someone how that person can become saved. Oh, it's so funny. And who are born not of the will of the flesh or the will of man, but of God. So they're being born again, this regenerative thing is the work of God, not of man. God draws people to himself, John 6, 44. And he says, you cannot come to me. Jesus says, you cannot come to me. Cannot, unless the Father draws you. And then Jesus says in John 6, 65, you cannot come to me unless it's been granted to you from the Father. Uh, he predestines us to salvation, Romans 8, 29 and 30. <clears throat> and he does all of this according to the kind intention of his will, Ephesians 1. Wow, sounds like God has emotions. <laughs> Did you say he was kind? What, what, is, this, is this the Calvinist God? Is, is he kind? Wait a minute. Is, is he passable? Does he have passions? Apparently. Apparently you're, so. You're denying his aseity. You're, den you're denying his aseity. I, I, love, I love talking to Calvinists because they, they have to fundamentally violate their own internal metaphysics to make any of these claims. And yeah. often their proof text for one of their positions will contradict some other position. And so uh, th they'll point to uh, Malachi and Malachi has God not changing. And then they'll talk about, you know, God's anger and stuff like that. It's it that fundamentally contradicts other areas of their theology. God's interacting with people. God's talking to people. Uh, this is discursive. This is time-bound activity. God, God says, if you return to me, I'll return to you. This is responsive. God responds. Oh, it, it just... Their proof texts are single use. They're single function. They're they're meant to be quoted to prove one aspect of Calvinism, irrespective of the full body of what Calvinists actually believe. Uh, I'm going to quote. I'm going to quote a verse out of context and claim it teaches this, and then somebody comes along and says, well, "How does that? How does that work with the U, the L, the I, the P, and their atonement theory?" Doesn't that cause some problems over here? Oh, don't don't look over there. We're talking about this. Yeah, yeah. So their, their verses, it's it's internally incoherent. That's why they need to single single use proof text. Uh, Eleven. So <clears throat> if my opponent uh, wants to argue against total depravity, say his name. He's got uh, you know an uphill battle. Metzlick? What he needs to do then is to demonstrate that the unbeliever is not totally affected by sin in all areas, heart, soul, mind, body. He's going to find that uh, in Scripture, that he's somehow freely able in his sinfulness to be able to find God and choose God. And he's got to also be able to answer the, the uh, 
contradictory scriptures to that position, which says that God has to grant that they believe and grant that they come to repentance, and that they cannot come to Christ unless it's been granted to them. If it's up to okay, so I don't recall in his cross examination of you, he says you need to show that these verses uh, don't mean these things. Did he bring up those verses in his cross examination of you? Don't believe so. Um, I, he brought up uh, heresy, Pelagianism, his uh, certi certification from a Calvinist uh, seminary. Um, brought up the fact that he watched several of my videos that had errors that he like in public. Um, offered to do a private Bible study with me. <laughs> uh, what's the dollar value on that? <laughs> Uh, but I don't, I don't. I don't believe. I don't believe he brought up proof texts. Um, right. So he he just claimed in his opening post, his opening statement, that for your view to uh, view to be correct, you have to explain these verses. One would think that those are his primary proof texts that he would cross examine you on in his cross examination if he thought that that was the crux of the argument. But I don't think he did. I think I think the verses he just referenced that you brought up to him. You brought it up to him. Uh, he doesn't have very much faith in his the foundation of what he thinks this debate is about. And that's what that's telling me. He doesn't yeah. want to question you about his proof texts. He doesn't want to question me about his proof texts because... If, uh, if, I, if I'm debating Calvinists and, and uh, I get them on Genesis 6 and I could talk to them about Genesis 6, my proof texts... I'm ecstatic. I love to talk about my proof text. I love yeah. it. It's like, let's go to my proof text and talk in detail. Genesis, spend... 6, Genesis 8, when they start there, I'm like, oh, home run. Like, yes, yeah. right, you're not going to be a Calvinist anymore when I get done with you. I'm excited. I'm excited to talk about my own proof text. Calvinists, they only want to talk about their own proof text over here in, in their context. They don't want to ask you about your takes about their proof tag. He, he's, he's not going to draw your attention to these. Oh, it's so funny. It's so funny. Ah, oh, oh. To their free will, their sinful free will, then it would not be necessary for God to grant their belief, grant their repentance, and grant that they come to Christ. Okay, that's uh, <clears throat> right there in Scripture. So this is what I depend on when I look at the issue of total depravity. How much time have we got left? Just curious. And basically, you got about three and a half minutes. You'll see the time up on that over left hand corner the of the screen. Or okay, he just I don't his, yet, his but I will. And so, <clears throat> a lot of times, what people do is uh, they don't realize that they are Calvinists. They don't realize. Oh, they're just you know they just don't realize they're just Calvinists. They have, they have some sort of reasoning or understanding they're not implementing, or where they created <sighs> incapable of knowing it uh, and understanding these things. So. Uh, and, the, and the, him explain how they don't realize this right and again we are in the uh, not again i don't think we've pointed out so far in this discussion we are in the context of calvinism god predestines all things that ever happen to his greatest glory the reason people are regenerated or not generated because god has eternally decreed these things and there's nothing there's no sentence that I say. There's no wiggle of finger that I do that's not been eternally planned by God. In all functionality, there's no difference between someone who's regenerated and not regenerated. It's an arbitrary distinction. Uh, we are just all pre-programmed uh, beings walking according to this pre-programmed course with no variance, no ability to do other than what has been eternally predestined. All these distinctions are meaningless in determinism. 
did you say fatalism? It was a bit of a, of a, of a, of a lag here. I could have sworn you said fatalism. <laughs> it is fatalism. It's fatalism. It's determinism. It's the same yeah, yeah. thing. Uh, of course, Augustine said, oh, we're not fatalists because uh, fatalists, uh, that system uh, depends on the position of the stars. Um, we just believe what the fatalists do, but we don't, we don't, we don't think astrological. Uh, yeah, we take this philosophy from the Gnostics and instead of putting it to just the arbitrary fates or the stars, we're going to, we're going to ascribe that to God and we're going to pack some Christian terms and themes with these Gnostic concepts and that'll, that'll be kosher. Yeah, so it's not fatalism because fatalism is astrology. We don't believe in astrology, but we just we just believe everything else about the concept that everything is is in fact fated. Oh, it's so funny. Um, <clears throat> what they'll do is they'll get on their knees. No, what, what God will do in loving adoration of God. On a serious and they'll note, intercede for people. And had a lot of problems. Do you know if he's suffering from any sort of health issues or if it's just? Maybe like I, a dry road I think or? this is normal. I mean, I do it a lot too, and so I have to mute my my and and I cough too. So I I wouldn't put it past him that it's just like a normal thing. But I also wouldn't say that this this overweight uh, man in his fifties, sixties is in the prime of his health. I I wouldn't say that either. Uh, I think and uh, one one post debate thing that I tuned into of his, he was talking about like demons haunting his house and so may maybe maybe demons do haunt his house and there's spiritual warfare going on or maybe it's projection or maybe it's just the mental issues talking all those are possibilities and i i wouldn't i'm a betting man and i wouldn't put my money on any of them over another yeah mm. oh no pray for people and, you know, they'll pray for their health or pray for the recovery and things like that. And a lot of times they'll pray for the salvation of someone. Now, I'm not going to put words in my, my, uh, my opponent's mouth. I don't know not yet, how you would pray. This. So this, this is the insanity of Calvinism. Okay, we're going to listen to his point here. This, but maybe he does, maybe he doesn't. This generic kind of a thing where people say to the, the Lord, Lord, would you please save that person? Lord, would you please open their heart and mind to receive the truth, which is what... Acts sixteen fourteen says when God opened Lydia's heart to believe. Uh, right. So in Calvinism, God determines all things, and so the Calvinists, their prayer to God, um, either conforms with what God already has decided to do eternally, or it's against God's will. If God, if a Calvinist prays for God to open someone's heart, they have no effect on God. God is immutable. God is impassable. He can't receive from outside Himself. He decreed he, that they would pray against His will. So. Praying against his will was his will. And that's kind of like what they'll say. They'll say, oh, yeah. we have to do this superficial action. Uh, uh, sent, we have to superficially proselytize because the Bible just says for us to do it, even though we don't think it's effectual. It doesn't have any effect. And and this is this is literally what they'll claim. And so he'll go here and he'll say, oh, these Arminians, they pray for God to open people's hearts. It's like if if I want, let's say I'm a single man. And I want to uh, get a lady to go to a party with me. I, I could ask this other dude over here, or maybe her friend who, who I'm friends with. I could say, hey, can you get this get, get this lady to go to this party with me? Can, can you make sure she comes? You know, you, you can petition someone to change or work at changing another person's mind. It doesn't make sense in determinism. If my friend who's to convince this lady to go to the party with me, if she's like, some sort of being that controls all things that ever happens, um, my petition's pointless. 
it, it's dumb. It only makes sense in a world in which my petition can affect this third party to affect, to work, to change the actions of another individual, the person that we're trying to affect. Petitioning only makes sense in in light of non-Calvinism, non-determinism. They're, they're assuming, he's assuming uh, that God is doing some sort of supernatural change in the nature and enabling flipping the switch rather than giving them more time, giving them someone else to come in. The scripture talks about some plant, some water, and some harvest, right? There is a method. There is there's a procedure. And it and you know what? Sometimes you're going to try and get grapes and you get sour grapes. Yeah. But, but uh, that doesn't necessarily mean that God is flipping a switch. And what's interesting is the uses, speaking of Lydia, who was already a worshiper of God. <laughs> God had to regenerate someone who was already worshiping him. Like, doesn't that disprove your your total depravity here? Yeah. With Lydia, okay, we got the immaculate conception, or maybe the virgin wants to, to phrase that. We got maybe John the Baptist, right? Because he left in the womb. Maybe he wasn't right? And maybe Lydia, right? So we've got these examples. Uh, are these the exceptions, or are these the rules now? Oh, those are the exceptions. Oh, okay. Thank you, Mr. Calvinist. Yeah, it's 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 almost as if they haven't given serious thought. But again, I I, I don't think that it's the it's they're intellectually honest to give it serious thought. It's all about narrative. It's all about frame. It's all about putting out your position without consideration. I think at the upper echelon of the leaders, that is absolutely true. Right. Uh, I would put Matt in that category. I, I I have to question some of the honesty and integrity there. But I think at the I think at the laity level. It, it's a matter of, of being brainwashed and indoctrinated into this so that having eyes we don't see. We pick up the Bible and we read sin and we go sin nature. We see death, and spiritual death at conception. I think that we are truly indoctrinated. Um, you know, at least, at least my experience was, it, I, I hate to use the C word, you know, Calvinism, cult in the same word, uh, the same sentence, but that, that's really what it feels like having been delivered from it. Uh, was that I was in a cult and I was indoctrinated and misled. And so when I came out of it, that's why I had that crazy man experience because for me, I wanted to run around and say, hey, God is way better than you guys said he was. And we need him way more than you taught me. And uh, and this is such good news. Um, but you know, a lot of them have a hard time processing it because I will take them to the text. I will show them what the text says but they can't see it because they're still reading their philosophy into it. So right. at the lady level, it, it's it's indoctrination and brainwashing. At the leadership level, uh, it is, at the worst-case scenario, just flat-out deception, dishonesty. It's, it's being concerned with their power base and authority over others and status and being highly regarded. And there's all these... Now, it doesn't mean everyone in leadership has that. If you sit at the feet of a false teacher... And you repeat their teachings and become a teacher. Maybe you were indoctrinated. I mean, I when I was a Calvinist, I was a false teacher. Absolutely, I defended Calvinism, uh, but I did so from a place of ignorance. So I, I don't want to presuppose whether Matt is defending it from ignorance or from dishonesty. But you know, we can speculate to that. But those are really the only two that I see that can can apply here. Right. So uh, uh, Jesus says that many are called, few are chosen. So. God attempts to call people. 
He says, come to my banquet. I'll give you a banquet. I'll, yeah, he tries to convince them to come be part of uh, God's kingdom. And they arrive or they decide to reject his invitation or they arrive in an insufficient manner and are cast out. And so, yes, not all of God's attempts to reach people are successful. As you pointed out also in the Isaiah 5 uh, parable of the vineyard where he says, what more could I have done? I've done absolutely everything I could to reach you. Sometimes God fails at reaching people, but he has tried. He tries various things. Matt Slick thinks it's a switch in your head because he thinks we're robots. He thinks that we function according to a programming. His definition of free will is literally computer programming. Uh, he thinks we're robots and it's a code switch. You, you flip a bit in your head and now you have this specific view. And so we'll, we'll let him finish up here. We're, we're, we're pushing on, push on um, about Jesus opened the mind of the disciples to believe the things that he said in Luke 24, 45. How did he do that? that if these what things the are there, Lord, would you please open their hearts? Would you please grant them that repentance? Yeah. You'd be praying scripture. Open their minds. Open Calvinist, their hearts. Grant them repentance. Grant them scriptures. Cause them to be born again. These are the prayers that Calvinist would offer as he quotes the because word. Because they God. love that person more because than he does not deity who condemned them to hell from eternity. Right. <laughs> sinner who's enslaved to God of his own free will is able to choose God. To say so is to deny the very scriptures that I have brought up. And there are, of course, Bible verses that people choose, and we can talk about those. Not a problem. But you've got to be careful. Don't set Scripture against Scripture. If my opponent comes up and he says, well, this verse, John 3, 16, says whosoever, and that <laughs> refutes the verses, then he's setting Scripture against Scripture. And you can't do that. All Scripture so, harmonizes. So if, I, if, I come back, if I come back with Scripture and I show him how his interpretations, I'm using Scripture against Scripture, and that's wrong. If I don't use Scripture and I use logic that's wrong so what he was trying to do was frame himself in a position to win but i think attacking his his uh undercutting defeaters and revealing it stripped all of that and uh and he just kind of fumbled and, and became rather vitriolic and at several points i had to um you know concede and make make you know nice with uh with matt and try and calm him down because at some point, I was just like, well, I would like to talk at some point during this debate. And if I don't calm him down, I'm, you know, he's not going to be reined in. And this debate's just going to be him ranting and raving about Pelagianism. Dare to even think that there'd be contradiction in the theology of God within his revealed word. We must. <clears throat> no, I know what I was going to say. So a Metzlik is right in a sense. It's, it's, a, it's, a bad, it's not valid to proof text Trump. Uh, someone has a proof text over here and you say, oh, that proof text uh, doesn't mean that because I got a proof text over there. What the, the valid logical response to a proof text is to explain why that proof text doesn't mean necessarily what they, the, your opponent claims that proof text means. And then you could talk about some other proof text somewhere else. That That is valid, but it's not like you give a proof text and then I say, oh, this proof text trumps that proof text. Yeah. Proof text trumping is invalid. You need to show independently of other texts why their verse doesn't necessarily or doesn't either or because a proof text is not a proof text if it has alternative valid readings, probable readings, it, not, not, not improbable readings. No, no, absolutely. I agree with that.
And so proof text trumping is invalid, as he points out, but he is trying to do this frame thing where he's trying to discount because he started first in this debate. I think this is why he's he's pointing this out. He says, I got this list of proof texts, and so you're going to hear my opponent uh, coming up in this very next round give a list of proof texts, and all those are invalid because I already laid out a ton of proof texts. I think he's I trying to... I my flag, and so I, I claim the Bible first, and he can't use it. Yeah, it's, a, it's like whoever whoever plays uh, Isaiah first, that the trump card that uh, God's ways are not our ways. Whoever plays that first gets to claim that verse for their theology. One of the things that I wanted to say, and it was in my rebuttal, but I I removed it, was "Come now, let us reason together." Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, hindsight, I, I should have left that in there. Uh, always be ready to uh, give a reason for your faith to mm -hmm. people apparently who can't reason. I don't know. <laughs> necessarily presuppose that God's word is accurate and truthful. And again, I'm just going to rest on the issue of what the word of God says. Since the Bible says that we are by nature children of wrath, by nature children of wrath, Ephesians 2, 3, doesn't, that the heart is desperately wicked and deceitful. Can let's, let's, let's exegete this proof text because I know a lot of Calvinists probably aren't going to make it two hours into this video with us, but some may. Ephesians Ephesians 2.3 doesn't say that we are born with a nature deserving wrath. It says that we followed the devil into sins and trespasses, developing a nature deserving wrath. That's the context. The context of that in Ephesians 2 is one that's developed through following the devil into sins and trespasses. But they, they don't like that. So don't, don't like that's because they're they're looking at the world in a Platonistic mindset. And so there, there's different substances God is a God substance. It's like a metaphysical substance uh, made out of metaphysical stuff. Or the spiritual world has a substance. But guess what? Man's flesh is a substance. And this, this, it, the substance has metaphysical properties. So whenever you talk about man's nature, it's probably, in their mindset, talking about this Platonistic level of existence rather than an acquired trait. Rather than a generality. Rather than a rule of thumb. Rather than a characterization. It's metaphysically embedded into us. That's what they think that this nature means. Like a phrase like natural athlete, they would say, oh, that he was created with a nature to play basketball. <laughs> like, no, I think the thousands of hours he dedicated to practicing the sport are what made him a great basketball player. Perhaps he had some, you know, genetic, genetic yeah. or something. But, but come on, it, it's the thousands of hours that he dedicated to that, that he developed a nature. And they're like, no, 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 no. Uh, now, heresy, you're not affirming Neoplatonism. Heresy. So everything everything is all about metaphysics. If, if it says God is good or if it says God knows everything, they instantly say this is a metaphysical claim. Um, so there, there's, there's a substance that's called God and uh, inherently linked to this substance is this attribute that I just found. It's a, it's a necessary attribute. It can't be not that attribute. And, and they'll do it selectively, of course, like they'll do with dead. Uh, you're dead in your trespasses and sins. Dead means dead, except in other contexts where it doesn't fit what I want this context to mean by dead. Speaking of the attributes of God, when Matt was like, you're elevating me. Christ is the truth and God is wisdom. So by recognizing their importance, are we elevating us or God? Because God, Christ is the truth. God is wisdom. So how am I elevating myself by recognizing of God to Christianity? And he was like, uh, I, I didn't think about that. 
<laughs> oh, this debate is funny. I I need to I need to watch it again and uh, maybe watch it on mute just to see. Look at look at it. I don't know. Is he's not really wait until you see my response video that I have coming out. There's some really fun stuff in this. Uh, I'm I'm having a lot of a lot of. Uh, uh, this I this debate was so I, I've I've watched a lot of awful debates that I regret watching like the Will Duffy Tyler Vela debate I, oh. I I will never forgive Will Duffy for tricking me into watching that I I told Will Duffy I said I'm not going to watch this debate he said you need to, you need to watch it because I have interesting innovative arguments I'm like dang it uh fine I'll watch it and then I watched it I'm like Will Duffy ah. you get my hands on you. I get my hands. Yeah, it's terrible. But this debate, this debate was a great debate. Uh, well worth, well worth. Even 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 the train wreck that it became uh, was was good. Is it good? Uh, so my friend messaged me. He's like, "How's the debate?" I'm like, "It's a train wreck." <laughs> it's glorious. Uh, it's, it's funny. And I'll be trusted, Jeremiah seventeen nine. That's the heart, right? That uh, people suppress the truth of God in their unrighteousness, Romans yep. one eight. How do you suppress the truth if you're unable? I, I don't know the truth. I don't understand the truth. I can't receive the truth. But I'm going to suppress something I can't receive. Right. And the context of that is uh, that God's given the truth to everyone. <laughs> oops. 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 Uh, on multiple levels, God failed. God. God gave something to people with without effect. You know, uh, in Calvinism, God can't fail. That triggers them. They get triggered. They're always like, Christ died for someone who's not saved, and then God failed, and they get all triggered, and they're like, ah. Well, it's happening here. It's happening here. God gave them the truth, and they're suppressing the truth in unrighteousness. In the debate, Matt is suppressing the truth in unrighteousness because he knows it, and he's rejecting it. So Matt is, Matt is demonstrating what this verse is talking about. That people have volition to choose to reject God's attempts to change their minds. Even if I pray for those people, I pray What's God changes people. Is that in the debate, Matt changed positions and started arguing against total depression because he championed this very notion you and I are talking about, that, that people do know the truth. They can understand the truth. They just don't receive it. You know, they're, they're not born unable to understand it, but they, they just suppress it. And it's like, uh, you're, you're, are, you, are you on my side? I thought we were supposed to be arguing. What happened? That, that's what I want to do I, in a debate. I want to just say, is, is this debate over now? Did, did I just I win? It's like that movie from Wolf Will, Will, Will Ferrell. It's like, do we just become best friends? Like, <laughs> you, you've apparently seen more Will Ferrell movies than I. <laughs> I've seen, I've intellectual seen all Will Ferrell movies, and they're, they're, all, they're all horrible. I've so. seen like zero, uh, maybe like one. But uh, so you're you're probably more of an expert there than I. Ethical thing, so their minds are depraved as well and affected by sin. The reasoning is false; they cannot understand the things of God. First Corinthians two fourteen. So the heart. He, he thinks he's so intellectual and philosophical here. You see it in his demeanor. The mind are affected by sin, and we die because that's the effect of sin. The wages of sin is death. Romans six twenty three. So the fact is, yeah, total depravity is true. It's there in Scripture, and we find that because of it, God grants people repentance, grants that they believe, grants that they come to Christ, appoints them to eternal life, predestines them to salvation, and has chosen us a foundation of the world for salvation, because it's not up to us. One of the things that's very interesting that I noticed in his opening statement was um, that he returned to the same pre 
multiple times in the opening statement. He would say, you know, First uh, Corinthians two fourteen says, and then two minutes later, First Corinthians two fourteen says this, and then a couple minutes, and he did that with multiple proof texts. I think he ran out. I think I think he did. I think he just ran out and he started going. Uh, you know, I have ten minutes. I, I really need more time. Oh, I could have done this in three. So we we started getting that kind of recycled. You know that that was that I, I heard that several times. I was like, hmm. At first, I thought, well, maybe he's got a point he missed and he's trying to like sure it up, or, or a point he's trying to like emphasize. But no, he was just he ran out of time, or excuse me, he ran out of proof text and had too much time. He had to recycle and repeat. Uh, yeah, it, it is. It is feeling like he's on repeat. It's up to God, and if you don't like it, you can take it up with God, and we can discuss that even further. I don't know if my time's up, but I'm done. <laughs> we, we, we can discuss that even further. Maybe we could do one-on-one, you and me. Uh, you might be starstruck. Remember when James White tried to give that Mormon kid like a signed James White Bible or something stupid like that, or a signed James White book? He's like, people would be honored to have this book. Oh, it's got my name in it. Did you see my name is written there? I even did one of those little Omega symbols at the end. That you should feel so privileged. You should take this home, put it on your mantle, and show your friends. If if you only had a discussion with me personally, oh, you would. Uh, I would blow you away with my intellect. It would be shining. Now, if I could, if I could get one of those bow ties or the, what do they call them, kogi or kugi sweaters. All right, now now I'd be interested. <laughs> You don't want a used one. I don't want. You know. Hey, I'll put it up on eBay. Do you know how much Calvinists would pay for that? Oh man, I can't imagine. I've never thought of the monetizing aspect. I, I don't have any. I guess um, there was that like uh, weird Twitch girl or whatever, or um, Instagram lady, or who is selling her bath water and all, all sorts right. of. Um, desperate don't, beta don't, males were, were buying this. Don't give James White any ideas. Next thing we know that on Twitter, he's going to be selling his bathwater. Mad slick bathwater. It's like, no, don't buy it. Don't, don't, you'll get infected. Don't do it. You can use it for your next baptism. Oh, God, no. I'm not going to try to kill my baby. Oh, I don't want, I don't want that bathwater. I, this, it's, Probably not good. Maybe, maybe, maybe I'll just put up the fake stuff. You see, the PlayStation Five came out, and people are selling on eBay PlayStation Five box only, and then people are bidding like seven hundred bucks on oh, box only. Photos or one guy, one guy here in town went and bought uh, the second and most recent Xbox, and he bought like three or four of them, and he's like, you know, brand new, unopened. I'll only meet police station bring cash and so he's he's selling not the latest generation <laughs> but the generation before but he's, he's presenting it because there's so many xbox s xbox one xbox yeah, nobody knows people, you know a, a, a 30 year old 40 50 year old mom grandma whatever goes oh i'm gonna get the latest and they're they're spending seven hundred dollars for these things that you can pick up new for two hundred. So I'll take my baby's bathwater and sell it. James White bathwater, just uh, ten bucks, ten bucks plus shipping. I'll send it to you. We'll make hey, money off the Calvinists. We need we need to create a joint Etsy store and monetize this. <laughs> uh, gross. James White bathwater. Oh, it'll be oh. a novelty gift for your Calvinist brothers and sisters. They'll be so. You can, you can have James White's signature on it. You can frame it. Um, he's such a star, uh, Matt Slick, such a star. A quick 
quick shout out to Pixels of Light. I want to get that guy really good. We need to do a video commercial advertising James White bathwater. Uh, I could, I could, I could see that being, uh, I could see that being a lot of fun. That would be hilarious. Yeah. Well, I, I have all sorts of ideas for Calvinist uh, commercials that I haven't filmed yet, but uh, I probably should start cracking on some of those. I don't want to give them away right here, right now, but oh no, no, we can talk in private. <laughs> it's it, it's a good idea to like. You know, all these YouTubers have like uh, promos for things they're selling in their videos. I I, I think I'm just going to intersparse some Calvinist commercials sometime, somewhere, in some podcast. Oh, it's, it'll be glorious. Glorious. Anyways, uh, I think we're done here. He just, he conceded his time. I don't think, uh, he, he did everything that we normally see from from uh, the, the Calvinist, especially previous Matt Slick debates. Uh, shotgun proof texting is huge. Uh, false moral authority uh, again. Uh, he's, he's you see a lot of a uh, frame going on, uh, accusations of poisoning the well against his uh, enemies. Uh, a lot of assumptions built into his proof text. Uh, uh, inability to understand and empathize and deal with alternative readings of the verses that you believe are your own proof texts. You, you don't see any any internalization and addressing of uh, other views of your own position, and so what else? What else are we missing here from this this uh, opening? Opening. Uh, he was unprepared. He was completely unprepared. I don't know. I don't know how much of that was was strategy versus just genuine lack of preparation. Well, uh, here's the thing. I think he's he, he feels confident in himself to go into any situation and just rattle off his generic proof text. You'll you'll see this in debates. Nice. Pages. He said he had 90 pages on total depravity. So my, my thoughts were, some people said that he, he intentionally, but um, I, I think he just came in and was like, I'm Matt Slick. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, do what I always do. And that's, you know, win. You know? So I think he came in with that, that sort of mentality. I don't think he prepared for that. So one, one thing about Matt Slick debates is he always never wants to debate the topic at hand. So he has his uh, favorite things to debate and he'll try to turn any debate into those favorite things. And so in the, in the Will Duffy debate, uh, it, it moved from is open theism biblical? And he just started talking about like predestination and, and God controlling things. Well, those, those, those types of things are irrelevant. Open theism can be true and God can control all things. If God could do new things, if God could have independent thoughts, if God can make new choices, um, even if God controls everything else, he could control me like a puppet. Open theism is true as long as the future is not set, as long as God can receive something new, as, as long as God can increase in knowledge in some capacity, open theism is true. But Matt Slick wanted to, he didn't want to argue open theism in the Bible. He wanted to argue total depravity or predestination or whatever else is his favorite subject is. And so my, one, one of my advices to Will Duffy or whoever debated Matt Slick last was make sure he doesn't pivot. He, mm -hmm. He's, he's going to pivot to what he's comfortable with. He's, he's going to try to make the debate what about whatever he wants to talk about rather than the actual debate subject. I think this, this debate was pretty good on keeping him on subject for the most part. But I, I, tried, I, I tried. I tried. But uh, that that is one of his strategies. Uh, so that that could be why he's very comfortable in going into debates with Christians, because he he could pivot so easy. Uh, my debate with him, 
Oh, it was. Oh, it, it, it illustrated this very concisely. I didn't record my debate with him, which was a major, major mistake on my part. Um, but uh, I argued that Genesis 18, God didn't have present knowledge in Genesis 18 as regards to Sodom and Gomorrah, that he has to go down to see if the reports which have come to him are true. And Matt Slick instantly pivots to Genesis 3, which is his standard strategy in debating normal open theists about God's knowledge. And he'll say, well, in Genesis 3, it seems like God didn't have knowledge what's going on in Genesis 3, and of course he knew it there. So therefore, if it, God ever talks in the Bible about not having future knowledge, obviously, using the same principle we gained from Genesis 3, we can apply that to this situation too and understand God does have total knowledge of the future, even though the text kind of looks against it. But he didn't internalize what I was actually arguing. I was arguing God didn't have present knowledge. And so he turns to Genesis 3 because he's running his standard routine, his like, Oh, he, all his pegs have to be in place. And so literally, I argue Genesis 18 means God doesn't have present knowledge. He turns to Genesis 3 and says, in Genesis 3, God doesn't have present knowledge either. Uh, so therefore, he does have present knowledge in both Genesis 3 and Genesis 18. He, he, he didn't understand my argument. No, in, in, in this debate, too, like um, uh, during my questioning, during, during the time that I was able to question him, I asked him, I said, hey, look, here's this passage in Scripture where God is saying, uh, you know, you double-minded sinners, you know, like, you need to do this. And my question was, if regeneration, if, if total depravity is true, the only people that this could apply to that could actually respond would be the regenerated. So it, it doesn't make sense that God is telling people that they that can't respond to do something. It makes more sense that he's talking to the regenerated. But Matt, because he's been in these debates over the years, assumed that I was like, it's unjust for God to tell someone he can't. So he starts actually responding to that same verse, but in a question I never asked. I never asked him, is it just or unjust? I said, why is God calling the regenerate wicked and righteous? And he's like, uh, 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 uh. He, he, can, he can tell them to do whatever. Uh, no, no. Why is he calling the regenerate wicked and unrighteous? The question I asked, not, not some other unrelated question. Like, don't, 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 don't debate, you know, what the, the debate you had six months ago. Like, answer the question I'm asking now. Um, and and he, 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 he's got, he's got scripts. He runs scripts. It's, it's like a program. He hears a keyword. He runs a script. That's he, it. It, he, he doesn't under, he doesn't internalize the debate. Well, he doesn't understand think, the debate. I think to be fair too, if he was actually listening to what I said, Instead of engaging in the comments, um, you know, he, he might have had a better time hearing my question and answering it. Hey, you give him too much credit. All right, uh, we're gonna end there. We're, we're gonna we're gonna call it quits, and uh, it's about like two hours. But I think we had a fair, very fruitful discussion. We only got through his his opening statement, which 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 is great. As the time was going, I was like, I don't know if we're gonna get through all of this. I don't know. But uh, we did it. We made it through. It was a marathon. And I think we do have uh, some decent value coming out of this. And that's like debate tips. Um, I think this video would be very good to forward to anyone who is going to do debate Matt Slick, just because you need to start recognizing patterns of argument, patterns of thought, uh, common, common fallacies of logic, common debate strategies. Uh, that Matt Slick and others like him attempt to use in order to get upper hands in debates and to try to portray themselves as uh, the winner of these debates. It's 
if if you recognize them and are able to shut them down, Arthur Hagelin debate with with Matt Slick is a perfect example of someone understanding who Matt Slick is and coming into the debate, shutting things down. If you understand who Matt Slick is and how he debates, you can prepare for his tactics. And the debates, Matt Slick debates are not typically won on intellectual back and forth about the merits and demerits. It's typically this manipulation, emotional manipulation of the audience. Yeah. Anything to add before we cut out here? Um, you know, so nice. Let's do it twice. Um, you know, I, I, had, I had a great time uh, on this review with you, like always, hanging out with you and getting your thoughts. And I think this sort of exchange um, helps me become a, a better debater. I, I really appreciate your feedback and, and insight and your sometimes not too hesitant criticism. <laughs> but uh, and then I, I enjoyed I enjoyed. The, um, you know, it was, it was better than a root canal, and I really I had fun. Was able to present some of those uh, challenges that uh, that I really feel destroy his position. Um, and so, uh, yeah, it was it was a blast, man. I'm, I'm glad after years of me asking him, he finally agreed to it. I, I don't uh, know if you that's, that's beautiful. Your tenaciousness paid off and paid off gloriously. We had a beautiful payout uh, from your years of hard work. An effort. And I'm so, glad, 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 it was, glad we were able to do it. All right. So anyone has any comments or questions on this, uh, go ahead and put that down below on our YouTube channel or start a thread on the God is Open Facebook page or the new new MeWe site if uh, Facebook uh, censors you and kicks you off. We we got alternative platforms we're trying out. And, so, uh, and the Discord, which apparently has been overrun by all sorts of people debating. I don't know. Hey. And check out the new Etsy store for your limited edition James White bathwater. Gross. <laughs> send, send links to your Calvinist friends. All right. Thanks for listening.